I'm George Kittle, and you're listening to the Niner Guys. Welcome, everyone, to the Niner Guys. Todd Kleinheim is Jerry Sue with you. We do have one NFL game still to go. The Chiefs and the Eagles will play in the Super Bowl, so their fans are still in this season mode. But for the rest of the 30 teams, it's already the offseason. Well, I'll be watching the Super Bowl. More eyes are now pointed to the offseason, and we're going to get into things that have already happened, like defensive coordinators being hired and what's going to happen with uh, the quarterback position. Mr. Brady, who we had surmised last week was a possibility, uh, has decided to retire. So we're going to get into all of those things, plus maybe a little Kyle Shanahan crankiness, as Jerry liked to uh, say. So, Jerry, it's a week removed from the final Niner game of the season. Uh, Have you been able to digest everything? Um, And in terms of offseason, Niners got a defensive coordinator, They've kind of addressed some of the, the you know, outstanding issues to close the book on the season. Uh, everyone's starting to look forward to the offseason. So where do you want to start? Yeah, I guess I have moved on because, well, I don't know, maybe just because that game just felt so unsatisfying. We just didn't really even have a chance after Brock Purdy got hurt that, I don't know, in this weird way, it was sort of, Easy for me, at least. I know not for some people, particularly for one Kyle Shanahan to get over, but I felt like it was, I don't know, I think, or maybe just because the very next day we heard D'Amico Ryans was moving on, in which this case, in this particular case, that means we needed to fulfill fulfill that uh, defensive coordinator role for ourselves. And I think a lot of us initially expected or were at least hopeful for Vic Fangio, a Vic Fangio reunion considering, you know, he'd been hanging around the Niners facilities during training camp. And I believe there is a relationship between him and Kyle Shanahan, or at least we know Kyle tried luring Fangio away from the Bears when he first became the Niners head coach. So when it seemed as though Fangio was hesitant to finalize his deal with the Dolphins, I thought it was because he wanted to come back to the Bay. Um, Alas, the reunion was not to be largely because I think Kyle really wanted to maintain the continuity in terms of the style of defense that the Niners have been running. And perhaps Fangio wanted to make more changes than Kyle was comfortable with. And we know the Niners prefer keeping that wide nine, four, three scheme, as well as the assistants currently on the staff, like retaining Chris Kasurik, for example, which sounds like he will be back. So that's really good news. Um, And it sounds like that's what's happening with the hiring of Steve Wilkes taking over as defensive coordinator. And I I think it's a solid hire. Obviously, he's got plenty of experience having been a defensive backs coach, defensive coordinator, and head coach during his tenure in the NFL. And his former players have all spoken really highly about how much they've loved playing for him. So I think it should be a seamless transition since he also runs a 4-3 base defense um, I know he likes deploying different zone coverage schemes to keep the offensive get offenses guessing. Um, and he really likes to blitz. So I'm sure that'll be more of an emphasis than what the Niners have been accustomed to. But I think more than anything, I'm sure Wilkes um, is coming here because he knows he can keep our defense humming with the hopes of getting another shot at becoming a head coach somewhere in the NFL. Because as we've seen with Robert Sala and D'Amico Ryans, being a defensive coordinator with the Niners definitely gets 
guys head coaching gigs. So yeah, hopefully it'll be a win-win for everyone involved. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, Kyle Shanahan flew in from his, you know, he was already on vacation up in Lake Tahoe. So he came in uh, down to Santa Clara to meet with Wilkes in person after a few Zoom interviews. And they had actually kind of planned to have a press conference on Monday. So when that didn't happen, I thought something might have been up a little bit. There was some kind of snag. But I think what was happening was Chris Kasurik was in discussions or mentions to become the defensive coordinator in Houston. And I think keeping him on staff was really important from Kyle Shanahan. And if it meant picking him up to defensive coordinator, I almost think he was going, he was willing to do that if that's what it was going to take. Um, but I also think he kept Kasurik in the loop and kind of kept him in the, if Steve Wilkes is the defensive coordinator, are you good with that? Will you stay And by the way, we're going to give you a pay raise. We're going to make you one of the highest paid, you know, defensive line coaches in the league. Um, So all of that seemed to fall into place uh, really well. And I like the hiring of Wilkes because he, his background is DBs. He came into the NFL and college as a DB coach. He was the passing game coordinator defensively for the the Panthers uh, to start the season under Matt Rule. So He's going to have a real strong influence on the back end of that defense. And I think he's going to work with Kasurik and let him kind of run that front side. He's going to let him continue to work with those defensive linemen. So I think it could be a really nice continuity uh, flow to the team. Very little disruptions unless we lose a couple coaches to Houston for D'Amico or, or to, to some other teams. But I think this is what Kyle wanted. I think he wanted that continuity. And even though Wilkes isn't an internal candidate, I think he fits what Kyle wants to do in terms of scheme. He gets to keep his defensive line coach. And I think it's kind of one of those things that Kyle can basically put to bed. Okay. The defense is going to be taken care of, like from a coaching standpoint, now we need to get some players or, you know, work with free agents, whatever it is. But I think he's able to check that off of his list early on and feel comfortable about it, which I like, which is great. Yeah, um, for sure. I think what's also great is that for these defensive coordinators that come in, they know that they have pretty much full autonomy. I mean, you know, the offense is Kyle's baby. I'm sure the I'm sure Kyle does work with the defensive coordinator, but by and large, defensive court, the defense is completely in the hands of defensive coordinator. I'm sure that for Steve Wilkes, that's music to his ears. Absolutely. Um, with that said, we, there still hasn't been in too much resolution on the possibility of uh, Bobby Slowick going to Houston, as at least the last I read. Um, so there's still a few balls up in the air on the coaching side of things, but it's one of those things that I, I think – when you're as successful as the Niners are, there's always going to be departures or promotions or coaches poaching or, or whatnot. Yeah. It'll be interesting too. If Bobby Slowick does leave, does he find somebody else outside? Does he elevate Brian Greasy? What do you think that they, they end up doing? Um, That's a great question because you would, you would think it would be a Brian Greasy type, but Greasy's only been, you know, quarterback coach for one year. So does he really want that? Or again, you went three deep, four deep, really with quarterbacks this year. And did Greasy have 
his fingerprints? Did he have an influence on those guys? Did he have an influence on how Brock Purdy prepared to be ready to go? Um, if he did, boy, that's you know a feather in his cap, and I think Kyle would want to again. Kyle right now is all about continuity and trying to keep things um, as smooth as possible. So we'll have to see because uh, I don't know. I don't know what the internal structure is if they have someone ready to just step in like they have the last couple of years. Um, so we'll see if and it, who knows if Sloak even feels like he's ready to make that jump because to go to D'Amico's staff, you would be the you would be the offense corner running the offense, calling the plays. Um, in charge of possibly developing a rookie quarterback. So it's going to be – it would be interesting, but, you know. Uh, but for all the all the smooth, got your defensive coordinator, flowers and enjoyment that um, Kyle has, you know, had over the last couple of days, uh, you mentioned his crankiness in his press conference. Um, I, was there a specific part you, you thought he was extra cranky or was he just – Typical Kyle cranky. Yeah, I thought he was especially cranky, you know, despite, you know, at that end of season press conference, despite the media asking some, in my opinion, some pretty benign question. Now, granted, it was just after the conference championship game. I'm sure the wound was still freshly open and he hadn't slept and, you know, it, but it was more, it was beyond his typical grumpy McGrumpy face, I thought. Um, you know, like, like when he was asked about why his quarterbacks tended to get injured, you basically told, told them off by saying they just needed to have more common sense and gave them some snarky response, like how, well, he could just hand off every time if you wanted to pre prevent quarterbacks from being injured. Right. But again, I actually thought it was a fair question to ask considering it's not just been an issue this season, but it seems to have been an issue every season. So I actually went and rewatched the highlights from that Super Bowl where the Patriots overcame the 28 to three deficit to beat the Falcons just to see if Kyle ran the same stuff in Atlanta. And it was actually an interesting exercise because not only did he run a lot of familiar plays, but the amount of pressure that my Matt Ryan faced was also eerily similar. The main difference though, was that Ryan could take a licking and keep on ticking. In fact, there was even a play that was reminiscent of the one where Brock Purdy got hurt against the Eagles, where Matty Ice dropped back to pass. Dante Hightower came off the edge on a blitz, and Devontae Freeman was in the backfield ready to pick him up. But instead of staying on his block, Freeman just barely chips Hightower and then releases for an outlet pass. And that's when Ryan just absolutely crushed, just as he was about to throw the ball deep. And Ryan's arm gets torqued a lot like Purdy's did. So needless to say, Ryan fumbled. It was a turning point in the game. So in my opinion, maybe Kyle should acknowledge that his protection schemes need a little refinement. Or he can keep letting his quarterbacks get hurt. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> if he enjoys this whole Groundhog's Day scenario, then I guess he could just bury his head in the sand and tell everybody, hey, I know what I'm doing, you know. You you guys can just keep criticizing all you want. Because if you think about it, Purdy actually got injured twice within the span of nine games. First was the oblique, and then the elbow. So had he incurred the elbow injury in the middle of the season that 
would have been a season ender and a season interrupter, just like what we've experienced with all the other quarterbacks, like Trey Lance, because of the way Shanahan overdid it with the design runs, and with Jimmy Garoppolo, who can rarely stay healthy as it is, but found a way to endure for six seasons with the Niners, which was why I was surprised by Shanahan's curt response when asked about Garoppolo's future status. I mean, Kyle basically gave him the Mark Tressman, he's gone type of send-off, which makes me wonder if that's why Jimmy was smiling on the sideline during that Eagles game when the Niners were getting pummeled. Because I thought that was kind of a weird reaction by Jimmy, but maybe they've had a falling out. Maybe Jimmy was ready to go, but Kyle didn't want him to play. Or maybe Kyle was pressuring Jimmy to get back early, but after seeing Purdy and Josh Johnson go down, he's like, man, thank God I didn't come back when Kyle wanted me to come back. But either way, Kyle basically sounded like he kicked Jimmy to the curb, which, like I said, was really surprising. And I think my reaction to Kyle's curtness uh, towards the Jimmy questions, um, I think had two parts. One of them was I wondered if Jimmy may have been able to tough it out to be a third or a backup quarterback, you know, even in like, even if he wasn't a hundred percent, could 80% of Jimmy been better than a hundred percent of Josh Johnson. Um, that could have been an issue. My other thing was kind of came to light today with Tim Kawakami's article about the fact that Jimmy and Kyle and John seem to have had a little bit of a falling out in a rift. Um, and I don't know where that came from because, well, I, let me take that back. I'm not sure where it came from considering how much Kyle has backed Jimmy in the past in terms of verbally at the podium. But on the other hand, Jimmy, you know, they, they did try and move on from Jimmy essentially a number of times by drafting, moving up to draft Trey last year by thinking we're going to trade him. I mean, everyone assumed it was going to be trade and then craziness happened with the surgery and he came back. So it's not as if Kyle is always in Jimmy's corner. He has moved on from him a little bit. And my only hypothesis, and it's a shot in the dark because I have no idea if it's even possible. Could Jimmy have at all played? Could he have said, could Jimmy have Really, could Jimmy have just taken shotgun snaps and thrown the ball? Like, if it's you can't, we know you can't run. Your foot's not, you know, healthy. But if you can throw the ball, you throwing the ball is better than Purdy handing off the ball. So I, I gotta wonder if there's something there. And again, we probably will never find out. Um, but clearly, Jimmy's moving on. I would expect Jimmy to be one of the first free agents signed, just to. For him, close the book. Niners, close the book, move on. So we'll we'll see about that. But I am a little bit concerned that Brock hasn't had the surgery yet. I mean, and he there's continuing. Is he getting second, third, fourth opinions? Is it just, well, we got to wait for the swelling to go down and then we're going to go in? Um, because we're a week away from the injury. And if it's a six-month injury, we're getting into – training camp time so the sooner you get it if it's a regular timeline get you back before get you back in in training camp we keep pushing this off we're getting closer to preseason then we're getting into the middle of preseason so 
thoughts on thoughts on what's next for Brock. Yeah, well, I was just going to say maybe once the Niners actually get one of those 30 for 30s done, we'll find out really what happened with Jimmy behind the scenes. And maybe we'll also find out what's taken so long with this pretty surgery, you know, conundrum, because I do think it's kind of strange it's taken this long for him to decide on the type of surgery that, you know, he plans to undergo. I mean, based on what we're hearing, it doesn't sound like they're waiting for like swelling to go down or anything like that, because all the reports keep indicating that Purdy is just assessing his options, which makes me wonder if he actually wants to do the full Tommy John, or maybe certain doctors are recommending that yet the Niners want him back on the field as soon as possible. So perhaps they're sort of nudging him to do the UCL repair with that internal brace, because supposedly that particular repair has a shorter rehab period. Whereas with Tommy John, at least when it comes to baseball pitchers, it usually takes you know, a full year to come back from. However, I did hear an interview that Ken VR did with Jake DeLone, a former quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, uh-huh. who said he had the full Tommy John and was full go after six months. So the delay in Purdy's decision on how to proceed with his elbow to me is, I think, the most curious thing right now. Let me ask you, is there any part of Brock that is trying to figure out how how do I look? I had a lot of good vibes. I had a lot of support through this winning streak into this championship chip game. And if I'm if I'm in if I have to have surgery, Gray Lance is gonna jump to the number one in, in the OTAs. Is there any part of Brock that's just thinking, how can I not lose my spot? Now I don't think there is a way for him to do that. I mean, surgery seems to be inevitable it's just which surgery is it a repair is it a replacement is it a break whatever it is but is there any part of that that brock is trying to have conversations about what's going to get me back the quickest because as quick as i come back the quicker i can retake my spot as qb1 oh for sure i mean being a seventh round pick he i'm sure he knows that he has a much shorter leash than a guy who wasn't not only was Trey Lance picked in the top three, but the Niners also invested all this draft capital just to go get him. So yeah, absolutely. There's a feeling of shoot. I don't want to, I don't want to, I guess, you know, he thought he Wally pipped Jimmy and right. Trey. He doesn't want to get Wally pipped himself. Exactly. Because, you yeah, know, he- because of this injury, but at the same time, I mean, I know he's a religious man, but I don't know. I mean, is it possible that he's hoping that just a lot of prayer can fix his elbow? I mean, I don't think it's going to work like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's why I'm like, I don't really understand what the delay is. What's the hold of? It's like you pretty much have two options, either get the full Tommy John or the UCL repair. And if they're saying all you need is this, why not just do that? Unless, again, I think, I don't know if we said this on our podcast or just offline where I was like, well, you know, maybe because he had played baseball, maybe because there is a little bit of like, well, it wouldn't hurt to do this full Tommy John. Uh-huh. You know, after all, Jake DeLome said he was back within six months. I'm not sure. Maybe he's just the Adrian Peterson of quarterback healing. I don't know. But, uh, you know, maybe because they do say like when you do the Tommy John and maybe it's because all the rehab, you're strengthening everything around the arm that you come back throwing harder or, you know, you're much stronger. And maybe that's what he's also looking at. Like, 
you know, one of the things that held me back and why I dropped to the seventh round was because of my arm strength. Yeah. So if I can increase that and improve that, maybe my career in the long run yeah. will be much better. Who knows? That, again, that's why I'm just like, what is going on? Why the delay? Well, hopefully, hopefully we get, I mean, and that's kind of the nature of the off season. Everyone wants answers now opposed to later. Everyone wants to know who, which free agents are we signing? Which free agents are we losing? Who we draft? Who we hire? Everyone wants those now where in, in all honesty, we have six months and these are going to play out on a weekly, daily, monthly basis. So hopefully it, hopefully it's sooner rather than later from my standpoint, only to get him into rehab quicker to be, get on the field quicker um, and, you know, hopefully we get to the point where him and Trey Lance can compete for that QB1 job. You know, I mean, we it's again, we went through so many. He's the quarterback because so and so got injured. He's the quarterback. I would really like to see both of these guys uh, without Jimmy's shadow on the sideline. Just both these guys go in, show Kyle what they can do, um, demonstrate their pros and cons because they both have strong suits and they both um, have things they need to work on. And both of them are completely different. Um, So I think it's going to be, I think it'd be in their best interest, obviously to compete, to see who can be QB one. And then I, with this, I don't think, and I know those, we mentioned it and there'll probably be discussions. I don't, I I think this just takes trading Trey Lance off the table um, because he he's a cheap option. And even if he doesn't win the quarterback QB one job, having him as the backup is going to be better for the team overall from a salary standpoint than bringing in a veteran, unless you're getting a veteran who's coming in at the very tail end, who's going to take your four or $5 million, those types of things. I think, I don't think you're going to go down the trade Trey Lance, try and get a first round pick turn that into your your right tackle like I was suggesting last week. So I think I think that takes this off the table now. Yeah, and I don't know if Rob Purdy needs to worry a ton about his status with the team because, I mean, we all know what kind of quarterback Kyle Shanahan prefers. Yep. Um, and, you know, you based on some of the reports by the Matt Miyoko and Matt Barros uh, within this industry who cover the team, they seem to have heard – a lot of players say that they want Brock Purdy as their QB one. Yep. Um, and, you know, of course, then the there's rumblings like, Oh, why, why is there so much support behind Purdy? And do, do the, does the team not have confidence in Trey Lance? And I don't know if this, I don't think anybody's hating on Trey Lance. I just think that honestly, that players have just sort of grown tired of the unsettled nature or unsettled situation with the quarterback position in recent years. And since, Purdy helped the team go eight and one down the stretch. I just think they've all, they all believe that he's earned the right to be the number one and he's earned the respect of his teammates, right. To, to be that guy. But, you know, as you said just now, and I, as I said last week, I just, unless the Niners get completely bowled over mm-hmm. with a trade offer that, yeah, for sure. Lance should remain with the team, you know, whether it's as Pur- Purdy's backup or by some miraculous chance that he outplays Purdy through the preseason and, somehow assumes a starting role or maybe just because Purdy's not ready, you know, but either way, I just think it makes sense to have Lance on the team because as we just discussed, the Niners quarterbacks always seem to get hurt. Brock only lasted nine games this year and given his slight build, you know, does make me wonder a little if he can't endure a full 17 game schedule plus the playoffs. 
in Kyle's system, you know. But yeah, I will say the thing that actually bothers me most in terms of the trade situations is is like why the Niners even drafted him in the first place. Like I almost feel like they didn't even have a really good plan on how they were going to develop him. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I mean you can't draft a kid with his limited experience and not really intend on playing him his rookie year and then and then tell the kid, "Hey, you know, this team is planning on winning the Super Bowl in his second year, so you better not fuck it up." <laughs> I mean, I think that that's I mean, that's not how it works. Most quarterbacks need time and patience during their developmental phase. Josh Allen needed it, and he got it. Even Jalen Hurts needed that and got it. And 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 Trevor Lawrence, we saw just have it this you know last couple of years, right? So if the Niners weren't willing to put in the time and patience to allow trade to develop and make mistakes, I just feel like they should never have drafted him. Kind of mm-hmm. like it's very similar to what I'm seeing with the Golden State Warriors and James Wiseman who's also endured his share of injuries early in his career, which have sort of sidetracked his progress. And since the Warriors are gunning for a championship, they don't play him because they also don't seem to have the patience for Wiseman to play through mistakes. So as for Lance, who's actually younger than Brock Purdy, by the way, you know, I I think this off season could be kind of make or break for him with the Niners. Um, you know, and if by chance, if suddenly everything clicks and Lance becomes everything Kyle envisioned, you know, I, I don't think the team would have any issues with him starting, but you know, who knows, who knows if that can happen at this point, because I just feel like his growth based on everything that's happened has sort of been stunted and, you know, through no fault of his really, right. but it's just what it is. Well, Trey's, Trey's going to have um, everything Everything for himself for at least the time being. He said he's, what, a couple weeks away from 100% full go, everything. So he's going to have the opportunity to, one, demonstrate his leadership skills. Can he can he get Debo and Ayuk and Kittle, you know, in the offseason to work with them? Does, is he working with, um, you know, his quarterback coach in terms of not only mechanics, but kind of the thing that made Brock Purdy so good and was such a surprise was his off schedule plays, but they weren't running plays. They were keep the, keep the play alive and look downfield. I just, I always go back to the, the Purdy play to Ayuk that ended, ended as an incomplete pass, but you know, roll left, roll right, dodge a defender, stay behind the line of scrimmage, keep your eyes up, wait for your receiver to come open and then make the play. Um, those are the things that we all wanted for Trey Lance. And we thought because of his athletic ability, he was going to be able to do. Um, so hopefully he takes a step up in leadership. And again, the old iron sharpens iron. So the better Trey Lance is, the better it is for the 49ers, whether it means because it's going to force Brock Purdy to be better, or it's just because he's going to take the step up in what the team needs. So, uh, but speaking of the team, they do have, uh, two questions to answer coming up in a few weeks, and that is, do they pick up the fifth-year option on Brandon Ayuk and Javon Kinlaw? Uh, Javon Kinlaw would be $10.4 million. Brandon Ayuk would be $14.1. Now, they are on the team this year, obviously, this coming year for 2023. The fifth-year option is just the guarantee of their rookie contract for the following year. So, um, And you have to make that uh, week you know, in the next month, I think uh determined and if you don't if you don't pick up the option it doesn't mean that you can't negotiate another contract the following year but 
what it does is it locks in essentially a rookie, a high rookie price. But do you pick up those options? Either, both, neither? What are your thoughts? Oh, with Ayuk, there's, you know, without question, 100%, you pick it up. And he just had a career year. Mm-hmm. And I foresee him just, you know, having an even better, better season in the next few years, right? But as far as Kinlaw is concerned, yeah, unfortunately, with his injuries, they just seem to keep dogging him. And I don't know if that he can be counted on to stay healthy. I mean, we just, you know, it's always, players that are injured early on in their career are always like a tough thing, right? Because we were, I think we talked about that with about Jimmy Ward um, the la- in the last podcast about how, you know, early on, they just kept him around, kept him around. But yet every single year he got hurt. And you're just wondering, why do they just keep this guy around? Yep. Um, and then, you know, even though he might still have, some, you know, nicks here and there in the last couple of years, but by and large, he stayed relatively healthy and has contributed big time to the defense. So it's always tough, but because of, you know, what, you know, you can only deal with what, you know, and with Javon Kinlaw, not being able to stay healthy, having these knee issues, I I don't think they pick up the option for him. I agree. Um, I think it's, I think it's the type of deal that, he still he still has another year to prove he can stay healthy and prove he can be, you know, more than just a a DJ Jones, a rotational piece. So he's he's still got time to develop, but he's gonna have to prove that he can stay healthy. And we keep hearing that it's the knee issue and it's the degenerative knee issue that had many teams cross him off their board out of, you know, coming out of the draft. So um it might be one of those situations where the Niners tried to take a swing at you know, the specimen of a human being coming out of the SEC uh, with a lot of upside that had some question marks uh, concerning in it, and it went bust on him. So we'll we'll have to see uh, about that. But um, there are, there are obviously a couple bowls I would like to discuss. Last <laughs> podcast, you said you were super excited to dive deep into the Senior Bowl. So I want to hear your thoughts on the senior bowl. And then after that, the bowl that everyone was talking about, the pro bowl. Um, <laughs> let's talk about, we, we can get into that. Uh, we'll also make our super bowl pick, you know, after that. But um, did you do your, did you do your week's worth of homework on the senior bowl? I did. Well, I, I did as much as I could. And uh, what I found was that the quarterback from Fresno state, Jake Hayner, what you know, who we mentioned on our podcast last week as one to watch ended up having a really good senior bowl week and got a lot of, to no one's surprise, Brock Purdy comparisons. Um, he's actually smaller than Purdy, so we'll see if his stock gets boosted too high for the Niners to snag in that seventh round. But um, another quarterback who caught my eyes, uh, Clayton Toon from Houston. Um, and I could see the Niners possibly taking a late flyer on him if perhaps a Jake Hayner is no longer available. Um, but since right tackle is a position we'll likely need to fill, I paid particular attention to some of those guys on the offensive line. And I thought Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse looked really good and could be had perhaps in that third round range. Um, but a guy that I was really intrigued by is Dewan Jones out of, Ohio State, or sorry, the Ohio State. Have You're you seen right. this guy before? No. I don't know how you can miss him because he <laughs> is a massive six foot eight, 375 pound tackle 
who is strong at both run blocking and pass blocking. And the dude has the longest wingspan in NFL history at 89.5 inches, which they say should be a wingspan of a person who stands seven foot five. Um, And the dude is physical and tough. So, you know, we'll see if he'll fall. He can fall to the third round because obviously a guy that size may not necessarily move as quickly as some teams might prefer, but he can move still. I mean, for, you know, given his size, he can still move. And like, he's not going to get ragdolled the way McGlinchey did by uh, Micah Parsons. I'll tell you that for sure. Um, And I know we're all leery of taking running backs in the third or, you know, middle rounds, but Mm -hmm. I think Tajay Spears out of Tulane. I don't know if you've seen him, but he's a kind of a smaller do-it-all back who can run, catch, and he has that home run speed that I feel like the Niners can still use. And he's the guy who ran all over USC and helped Tulane beat them in the Cotton Bowl. Mm -hmm. And he just has that big play ability, which makes him, I think, a really good prospect. And finally, I think the Niners, I think I've said this in a couple of years, but I do think they need to upgrade that tight end group after George Kittle. And I think there's going to be some good tight ends in this year's draft class. And I really like what I saw in Luke Musgrave out of Oregon State. Um, He's kind of that dual threat tight end who has, you know, who has both the running uh, ability, run routes, also the blocking ability, as well as the ability to catch the ball. So, um, yeah, so I, I think he had a good week. And again, I don't know if all these guys will slip to that bottom of the third with all those compensatory picks that we have. But, you know, those are the kind of guys that I would be looking at in that mid mid round range. Uh, well, you mentioned Dewan Jones, and that is the position that I'm most intrigued with. And I just I brought him up real quick to find out. So he's listed as the number 90 prospect um, by PFF. So uh, take it for what it's worth if you like PFF or not. But you're you're talking about a guy who is there at the end of the third round, like that. That so if you're talking about do the Niners have a shot at him? Sure. I mean. He could always go to the combine and blow everyone away with his size speed interview. But as a prospect right now, you're looking at a guy who seems to be, that's a reasonable spot to assume you could grab him. So that's some, someone to keep your eye on. Um, You you heard it here first, Jerry Sue breaking down the senior bowl as the possible third round draft pick, which obviously we'll get more into as the draft approaches, but um, senior bowl is always, an interesting, uh, interesting event. I mean, it's just blossomed into, it's basically blossomed into the kickoff of the NFL draft season because you get all the seniors, you get some, you get juniors who have already graduated. Um, it's, it's a time when you start finding again, the gems because everybody knows the underclassmen, everyone knows the CJ Stroud or the Bryce Youngs and those guys who are going to get drafted at the top, but, you're right. You're talking about a guy in Dewan Jones who played right tackle. Um, the, the Ohio State left tackle is already slated to be a number one pick. So you're looking at a guy who's at right tackle where, you know, you're not really looking for right tackle when you're watching Saturday, you know, college football. You're not paying attention to that guy. And nobody's talking about that guy because he's just not, you know, he's not sexy enough prospect to get uh, all the eyes on him. So. 
That's uh, I appreciate the breakdown, and I'm marking these guys down as we so we can track them through the draft process and see uh, see how keen your scout's eye is from the, the very kickoff. So um, let's talk about the other bowl, the Pro Bowl. Did you? Watch uh, I did not watch the Pro Bowl. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm not sorry, but the AFC versus NFC dodgeball extravaganza isn't exactly must see TV. In my household, I think the only thing I was concerned about was that all the Niner players remain healthy, even though, I mean, I saw some clips on like Twitter where, you know, you got George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk pretending like they're WWE guys going, going to town. I don't know. I don't really know. I just wanted, after all the shenanigans, I just want to make sure that they were healthy because I had heard that Miles Garrett actually incurred like a dislocated toe or something. So yeah, he dislocated that's like the last thing the Niners need coming out of the Pro Bowl. Yes. Um, not that you were in the minority, but the Pro Bowl garnered 6.1 million viewers. The flag football game of the Pro Bowl garnered six, mm. which um, would, would beat any. That's stunning. <laughs> it, 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 well, and, that, and that, that's why the Pro Bowl is not going away in any form is because if six, I mean, if 6 million people are going to sit there and watch a flag football game uh, with guys who, uh, I mean, when you say they didn't care, that's an understatement because boy, unless the, unless the ball was right to him, the defensive back was not making any attempt. Um, I mean, it was seven on seven. You didn't even have linemen out there, but still again, over 6 million people watched it, uh, you know, and how does that compare? Well, it it was the it was the biggest sporting event of the weekend. I mean, it beat NASCAR, it beat the NHL uh, All Star Game, it beat it beat Duke, it tripled Duke North Carolina college basketball, which is the probably one of the best rivalries in college basketball, and was a great game. Um, so again, it, the power of the NFL is remains undefeated when it comes to putting together not even games, just spectacles. So. As much as people may want it to go away, and and it, it's just not. But I will, I will say, I watched some of it. I watched a little bit of the game. <laughs> you were part of the six million. I, I was part. Of, I, I watched some of the game. I watched some of the. And, but here, in two things. One, I as a kid, I loved the superstars that was on ABC Sports on Saturdays. Do you remember those? Do you remember yeah, when I like I loved it? I loved it all as a kid. So that's why. That's why I liked watching these. You know, the the punters and kickers, like, try and play tic-tac-toe with, you know, where they're going <laughs> to kick it and snap it. I mean, that's why I like seeing the, the lineman obstacle course with, you know, pulling weights and pulling things. Like, that was all, you know, interesting to me. But it also, again, here's the thing. We talk about it numerous times a year. It's why I loved it. It's competition. I don't need the entertainment of the competition. I need two people, three people going at it to win something like anything like that's again, we always talk about, I don't, you know, you don't want it. I don't need the entertainment. I want to see two people competing at something. And this is, that's what the pro bowl was this time. Like there is absolutely no reason I should be rooting for a long snapper to hit the bottom right corner of the tic-tac-toe board. But I was because I wanted the NFC to win. Like that is what it was. I wanted the competition to have that focus. It's not entertaining. You're never going to sit there and go, remember what it was? 
Remember that Pro Bowl game where the long snapper nailed the nailed the X in the center square? So again, just to reinforce that uh, for me. Um, so are you the reason why we have ESPN the Ocho and why there are cornhole competitions and all these other yeah. kind of random sports on TV now? Because yes. and, and I'm the need one that com- com- competition. Yes, and I am I am the one <laughs> constantly peppering ESPN like Andy Dufresne to bring back the lumberjack championships. That's what I want. <laughs> I want the lumberjack championships that used to find in you know in the mid nineties, you know, at two o'clock in the morning on ESPN. Like that's what I want. Bring the again competition. Two guys going at it. Whatever. Love it. Love it. So. Now, flipping it to the opposite side, do you know what the top 10 most viewed, uh, I guess, videos on the NFL YouTube channel are? On the NFL YouTube channel? Yes. On NFL on the NFL YouTube channel, what are the 10 highest viewed, most viewed, however you would like to phrase it? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, I, I don't know. I, I'm guessing if the demographic is, is the, of the older variety, they probably start looking to see if those greatest hits videos are still in their library and they can reminisce about what real football looks like. No, the top 10. <laughs> you, I mean, that those have millions of views. Don't get me wrong. So that's you aren't totally out of line. Um, the top 10 most viewed Videos on the NFL YouTube channel are 10 Super Bowl halftime shows. Oh. So, again, that goes to the entertainment portion of it, of why the Super Bowl is going to garner, what, 60, 70 million people? I don't even know what the number for the Super Bowl is going to be. But, again, on the flip side of how enthused I am about Lumberjack Championships and Long Snapper Tic-Tac-Toe, I have no desire. I can't even remember the last time I actually watched a halftime show um, because it's not, again, it's not my cup of tea, but I am in the minority there because there are a hundred million people who not only watch it, want to rewatch it. So are you excited for Rihanna? Uh, I'm not watching the game, so I guess I can't really be excited about Rihanna because I am assuming that she's the halftime performer since you brought her up. Yes, yes, I am. Um, so not gonna didn't do enough to draw you to them, huh? I think was it last year they had all the old school rappers, the 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 LA. I think that maybe that just you know nothing's gonna top that. So might as well just go out on a high note and. You know, that's it. Uh, there there was a couple uh, nuggets of football news. I don't know. Did you see the Derek Carr news that he is uh, he's allowed to talk to the Saints? He's going to New Orleans to meet with the Saints to kind of try and discuss a possible trade to get the feeling out process going. I did see that. And I don't know if we again, I don't know if we discuss it on the podcast or offline, but I know I mentioned to you that New Orleans was my the destination that I thought because of the relationship that he had with Dennis Allen, I think did it because Dennis Allen gave him his start. Um, and I think in general, I would like to think that the ownership there is pretty stable. I mean, you know, um, that it would have been a 
an environment in which Derek Carr would have been interested in going to. And obviously they need a quarterback in new Orleans. And again, because of the connection between Dennis Allen and David Carr, that um, I thought it was a likely destination or partnership for the two of them. I am surprised, however, that there could be a trade because I thought, especially I guess, given I heard that Derek Carr didn't wear any Raider um, apparel to the pro bowl at all. So I just would have thought that Derek Carr would be like, no, I'm not approving any trade. I'm just going to wait for you to cut me. And I'm just going to go to the destination of my choice. I am a little surprised that they are going to try to work out a deal where the Raiders will get something in a trade for Derek Carr. Although I guess in Derek Carr's situation, then he would get the, he would maintain the contract that he had signed with the Raiders. So there is something in it for him. It's a, right now it's a little bit of a game of chicken because the Raiders, I can't imagine, want to guarantee his salary, which will be due in, I think, of like February 15th. So all he has to do, which now he's he's good. Like he didn't get injured in the Pro Bowl. So he's not going to, he didn't get in, injured with any football related events. I doubt he's lifting weights at the facility. So he's basically in the clear. So unless, so he's going to get his guaranteed money unless the Raiders trade him or cut him. Now, will he get $40 million right away from the Saints, which is his current contract? I don't know. Because, and then, so that's where the game of chicken is. Does Derek believe that the Raiders aren't willing to pay him, so they're going to release him, thus he can sign with the Saints for whatever contract? Or is he willing to take the trade because he has a no trade clause. He can just veto the trade, say, no, I'm not going to go there, get cut, and then go there anyway. Like, it, he holds all the cards. So um, the Raiders are really kind of over a barrel here in terms of what they want to do or what they can do. Um, so if Carr is just that much of a good guy that he's willing to go trade me to the Saints and the Saints are going to go, okay, yeah, we'll, you know, I mean – we're going to lowball you. We'll give you two third round picks, you know, certainly below Derek Carr's worth, but the Raiders are just going to have to take it. I mean, unless they're going to, Mark Davis is not in a financial position just to write $40 million checks for guys he's not going to have on the roster next year. So, so, but, so connect that next dot is Aaron Rodgers going to Las Vegas. <laughs> oh man. I don't know. I mean, you know what Aaron Rodgers has become? Become the Kyrie Irving of the NFL. <laughs> Just looking to create drama because he wants the attention. Supposedly he's going to go, I don't know what, a meditate in like darkness for four days or four something. Days, yeah. And then figure out what he's going to do. Maybe a, you know, party with some ayahuasca. I don't know. Just, just wake me when he's traded. I don't even care anymore about Aaron Rodgers. Um, and one of the reasons, obviously, that Aaron Rodgers becomes an interesting target uh, for the Raiders, not only because of Devontae, but because Tom Brady basically took himself out of contention, which I know we talked about for the Niners, but Raider fans were considering him with the connection to Josh McDaniels. Um, thoughts on Tom Brady calling it a career. Is it final this year? One. <laughs> and he liked, Yeah, he, he'd like everybody to think that, wouldn't yeah. he? But one thing that piqued my interest this week was how Tom Brady decided against joining any of the Fox broadcasts this season. Yep. 
supposedly, you know, he wants to get more television experience behind the scenes, I guess, while having the ability and the time to also take care of, you know, some of the family matters that he has going on. But whenever the question comes up in any interview that I've heard so far as to whether Brady's taken his last snap, he never states emphatically that he's retired for good or that he's absolutely done. And as we all recall, it was just last December when he was asked if he was going to retire. And he said he was nowhere near retiring. And people even said at this point that they're surprised that he retired because he has stated that he has a lot more left. So I wonder if he's sort of keeping the door open still, just in case the perfect opportunity does become available for him to come back when he's ready. That That's just my, my two cents. But I did think it was kind of funny how we... We recorded our podcast, and then the very next day, he announced his retirement. Yes. Um, People are selling the sand from the beach in which he made the announcement from. Well, and and so... Maybe the same six million people who watched the Pro Bowl were bidding on it. I don't know, because it, it's it's just all, all absurd to me. <laughs> uh, it is absolutely absurd. Uh, and I, again, I know you don't care about it, but in five years, that's going to make him eligible for the Hall of Fame. So already you're talking about Tom Brady and J.J. Watt headlining a pretty good class of players, uh, those two and whomever. does. I mean, that's another that, – does Aaron want to retire now and have to play second fiddle to Tom on Hall, Hall of Fame weekend? Probably not. So he's going to find a way to play one more year just so he doesn't have to have that. Well, and again, his contract, I mean, he pissed and moaned to get the Packers to give him that huge contract. Uh, there's no way he's retiring. Um, speaking of retiring, AJ Green announced his retirement. Hall of Famer or no? Uh, I'd say no. I mean, again, I'm not one who um, is obsesses about stats and records. So I don't know, maybe if you throw like, hey, do you know that AJ Green has all these records? Maybe then he would be deserving. But just in terms of thinking about the player that he was and what he accomplished, just off the top of my head, I'd probably say no, he falls short of that. But more than anything, I'm actually sad because AJ Green in his heyday was a hell of a receiver. A hell of a receiver. But unfortunately, he was on the Bengals when they were the Bungles. And he just never, you know, that he never got a chance to show his the be the best of AJ Green on a big stage, you know, in a Super Bowl or anything like that. So I think. That's, to me, the saddest part about the A.J. Green retirement announcement was like, man, you spent your whole career with the Bengals, and then you went to the Cardinals? Yep. Oh. Yep. Yeah. And what a waste. <laughs> you're right, because A.J. Green, as, for as bad as the Bengals were during his whole career, he still, again, he finished, he had, he had top 10, couple top 10 seasons of receptions, three top 10 seasons in receiving yards. Four top ten seasons of receiving touchdowns. Um, he's he's in the top fifty of career receiving touchdowns. So, can you again? Here's one of those. Can you imagine if such a talent was just on a average team? And you know, would, could he have been on a team that in, really utilized him? But I agree with you. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer statistically or, or on the eye test. 
Um, but he's the kind of guy that you saw the talent coming out of Georgia. You saw the talent uh, when he was on the Bengals. It was the team around him did not elevate his play. So, Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, again, nothing against Andy Dalton, but what if A.J. Green was on the Patriots? Or what if A.J. Green was on the Saints? Would he have been in Hall of Famer then? Probably, because, I mean, again, he was a hell of a talent. So, yeah, it's just that's why I, so the whole Hall of Fame thing is like, yeah, but it, it's not just about the guy. It's also about, you know, his teammates who surround him because because A.J. Green wasn't on one of these teams that had a juggernaut kind of an offense. Like, imagine if A.J. Green was on the greatest show on turf. Yeah, right. Right? I mean, he would be a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. You know, I mean, he would – he would be discussed as one of the probably greatest of his generation because his stats would be so, you know, I got So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anything else this week that caught your eye from um, Sean Payton's introductory press conference with the Broncos to the Colts and Cardinals still without head coaches um, to again, pro bowl, senior bowl. Do you have a super bowl pick? <laughs> uh well with the regards to the Super Bowl, I know I know Brandon Ayuk said he bet the house on the Chiefs, but if Super Bowl 55 is any indication of perhaps the Chiefs' weakness, because we saw how Tampa Bay's defense was able to pressure Patrick Mahomes and sort of keep him under wraps. I mean, I don't think their offensive line is as bad as it was then, but you know, we've seen how the Eagles defensive front has been given everyone fits this year. So, you know, if, if kind of, if it's true to form the way that the Eagles defense plays and how the chiefs perhaps still have, you know, a little difficulty with that, then I, I would say that Philly should win it. I don't know, like 31, 20, 31, 24, something like that. All right. Very nice. Love it. Love it. Um, I don't know who I'm picking because I'm only rooting for my Super Bowl squares. <laughs> As you should be. I uh I, I really do I, I mentioned it last time. I, I don't know. I I'm the the Philly fans turned me off last week. They continue to turn me off. They continue to just, you know, live up to their reputation. So I'm really not a fan of them, <laughs> you know, getting a championship. At the same time, not, you know, enthralled with Patrick Mahomes and, you know, everything surrounding him or the Chiefs. So, uh, you know, can I get a can I get a Chad Henney Super Bowl win? Maybe <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll go with that the, that direction. But other than that, I'll be I'll be rooting for my my Super Bowl squares to to pay off. Then I'll be a happy camper. Still won't be watching the halftime show, though. So. Um. So with only one game left, we're, then we're going to get into full off-season uh, prep. And before we do that, uh, you got a final thought? Um, well, you know, as much as we all revere Joe Montana when we were kids, I've not really looked at him through that same lens as an adult, <laughs> especially when he makes comments like, how he still wants Jimmy G to remain the Niners starting quarterback. And on top of that, throwing shade at Steve Young in the process with his comment about how, you know, the Niners shouldn't just hand over the keys to the kingdom to some younger guy in waiting. It's kind of like how Montana still sees himself 
as the Jimmy G in this situation. And he still has an ax to grind and he still <laughs> obviously still harbors resentment for being replaced by the more mobile and athletic Steve Young. I mean, you know, cause Steve Young is more Trey Lance and Montana is the anti Trey Lance. Yep. And obviously Montana is also the anti Brock because he's also the young whippersnap in a young whippersnapper category. But man, to see Montana be like the old guy who's just still harboring those ill feelings. I'm just like, dude, time to let it go, man. You know, I mean, I know everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but I don't know. Just not a good look for, for, Number 16. Yeah, that was an interesting comment he had um, on the Mike Silvers podcast. Um, and, but again, but does this, does it surprise you at all? Especially after watching that, that uh, Peacock documentary about Montana, just how locked in he was about everything and how no, nothing, he was not accepting moving on at all like there was even uh, even after back surgery it's kind of like hey Joe, no i'm coming back like walker and all that's my team i'm quarterback like so i i, I agree with you not a great look especially you don't want that you don't want to see you know legend on legend you know crime you don't want to see joe taking shots at steve but um yeah i definitely think but it, again it also i think shows Montana is not as dialed in as people may want to think he is just because he's a hall of fame quarterback. Um, because obviously Jimmy's not on the team. He's a free agent. He's moving on. I mean, the, the Niners would have to move heaven and earth to sign him because they can't franchise him. So I, again, it shows a little bit, Joe's kind of out of touch with, you know, I mean, it's, it's like saying, Oh, well, you know, I wish, you know, why can't I pick Mahomes to be the quarterback next year? Well, that's not really an option, Joe. Like, you know, let's let's talk about the two guys who are legitimate options or you know, free agents. So I agree. Very interesting. Um and, and my my final thought, I guess, will just be the fact that uh tonight LeBron James uh eclipsed uh Kareem Abdul Jabbar's all-time mark uh for most points. So I'm going to just basically ask you of What's the most sacred record in sports? Is there a sacred record? Is there, a, is there, it used to be, it used to be either Babe Ruth's home run record or Roger Maris's 61. Um, I could, I always could tell you what that Kareem was the leading scorer for the last, whatever, 20 years. Um, but I could never tell you how many points he had. Um, I can always, I can tell you that Jerry Rice has the most touchdowns. Um, scored I can't tell you the exact number um I remember Cal Ripken breaking the Iron Man Lou Gehrig's Iron Man uh streak and that was uh a big to do uh, but is there a sacred record in sports anymore or are records just basically non-existent because the games no matter what it is baseball basketball football are just so different than they were 10, 20, 50 years ago? Yeah, well, you're the history guy. So I think if any, between the two of us, if either of us were into records and that kind of stuff, it'd be you because I, you're saying, oh, you could have told anybody that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was the 
leader in career points. I I didn't even know. I actually did not know, or at least it wasn't conscious in my mind up until everybody was talking about, oh, Le- LeBron's about to break his record. You know, because actually I thought maybe Michael Jordan held that record. Um, just again, just because he was the greatest player of, in, in terms of basketball in our generation growing up. Um, but yeah, so I think for me, gosh, I don't think so. And, and not just because I'm not kind of a numbers guy or records guy. Um, but I just think, like you said, a lot of things have changed, right? Like I would have probably said, because I'm more, you know, I'm a very hardcore baseball guy that the home run record, you know, would have been one of those, but now, you know, with all the PED use and whatnot sort of tainted it. So it's like, who's really the home run leader or who has a single season record, you know, kind of stuff. It's just like, it's like, uh, is it tainted? And do we really need to focus on that anymore? Especially because, you know, they always talk about how, oh, well, certain eras, they have the juiced ball, the live ball, the dead ball. So it's like, wow, well, I guess it depends on when you play. It could really mess with your statistics. Um, just like even in football right now. I mean, I haven't watched the, I think, what is the Bullies from Baltimore? I think that's the latest uh-huh. ESPN 30 for 30. And I think they had a clip of Trent Dilfer sort of, not throwing shade at like this generation's quarterback, but sort of throwing shade, which is basically saying how, oh my God, it's like yep. night and day in terms of what you can get away with now versus back then in terms of like, dude, you couldn't run over across the middle without getting decapitated. Like try, try completing a pass, you know, when you have that staring you down the barrel kind of a thing. And so, so I think that kind of stuff too, right? Like I think that's why a guy like Tom Brady has been able to play until he's in his mid forties because the game has changed um, so much. And then going back to your LeBron record, I mean, Le- LeBron came in as a, a high school kid, right? Right out of high school. Right. Mm-hmm. So whereas like Kareem played, was it three or four, four years of college, right? Four years of college. So, you know, I mean, not to take anything away from LeBron, but at the same time, it's like, dude, that's four years that you got to eclipse Kareem's record. Which four young he did years. Not. Yeah. What's that? Four young years. You is it not? Yes. <laughs> you didn't get to tack on those four at the end. You, you know, yes. Kareem, yes. Kareem's four years as a twenty-year-old. Yeah. So again, good on LeBron. It's just amazing record to just you know get to that point. I think. Adam Silver said that it's held for 40 years and they never thought anybody would be able to eclipse it. So certainly uh, an amazing accomplishment, but at the same time, it's like, well, but you had that (laughs) those four years as well. And, you know, and obviously you're a great player. So, yeah. So I guess for me, eh, just not really into the whole record thing. Well, we were going to get into um, off season 49er stuff. We will recap the Super Bowl. Uh, next time Jerry will have a lengthy list of prospects that he scouted from the East West shrine game, possibly <laughs> uh, during our, our next podcast. Um, it's going to start becoming kind of news of the day after the Super Bowl because we're going to, like we, we talked about, we're going to instantly get into off season signings, starting with David Carr, starting with free agency, uh, leading up through the combine, the free agency and the draft. So uh, the Niner guys will be with you for all of your Breaking news, all of your top of the mind, 49er news. Uh, we'll certainly be, you know, talking about the things that occur should, you know, D'Amico take somebody to his staff. So 
should something happen out of the ordinary. So uh, we're going to be here through the whole offseason. The Niner guys like the NFL are a 12 month a year operation. We don't, you know, we don't get to, we don't get to go Aaron, Aaron Rodgers and just go into the dark for four days. Can't do it. Can't do it. So uh, again, thank you for everyone who has listened. If you are new to the podcast, thanks for finding us, send it to your friends, uh, like us and send us a review on Apple podcast for Jerry. I'm Todd. You've been listening to the Niner guys. We will see you in the official off season. Good night. <laughs>